Normally, being a little extra can be a bit much. But when it comes to healthcare, it pays to be extra. And United Healthcare makes it easy with Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they supplement your primary plan, helping you manage out-of-pocket costs without the usual requirements and restrictions like deductibles and enrollment periods. So when it comes to covering your medical bills, you can feel good about being a little extra. Visit uh1.com to find the Health Protector Guard plan for you. And welcome to Rule the Roost podcast. I am Raj Bind, and joining me is Mr. Sebastian Stafford Blah. How are you, Seb? I'm okay, mate. I'm a little, um, I'm a little mournful after yesterday, but I, um, I don't know. There, there, there are there are enough positives to to, to sort of um, to take the defeat on the chin, and and uh, you know, be proud. It was, uh, I don't, you know, talking about sort of gallant defeats is 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 a bit small club like, but it's um, it was okay. It was. Uh, you know, I I'd, uh, I wasn't gonna hang around to to watch the old um, to watch Chelsea collect the trophy, but uh, it was um, yeah disappointing. But it's okay, head head held high. Yeah, you're getting ahead ahead of the conversation a bit there. Um, it was what was on my mind. I just I thought I'd you know <laughs> I, I kind of I've had a I've been sulking for pretty much the last twenty six hours. Well, I must admit I'm completely the opposite. I've for for some strange reason, that defeat has given me some sort of odd clarity into the whole short term future of the club, and I've I've rarely been this positive, and I've rarely been this this quite proud and and happy about the situation at Tottenham, and I haven't been for a while. Um, I think we should first make reference to the fact that Jack isn't here. He, he turned thirty over the past few days, and he's in Rome for a while with his girlfriend, and we've been missing this unfortunately. But uh, obviously, wish him the. Best birthday and everything belatedly as we as in everything he's as I say he's now thirty so he's he's joined you in the old cunts club as I told you didn't I said that uh, once you're over that age it's uh, it's all downhill from there isn't it <laughs> bastard <laughs> yeah, not only that it's not it's not it's not that you told me and Jack it's that, it's that you <laughs> continuously tell us even before Jack turned thirty there, there's quite a lot of there's quite a lot of snidiness going on in the WhatsApp group, and and quite that's a... because he seemed to be really straight, like strangely troubled by the fact that he was obviously reaching that milestone was played on his mind quite a lot. There's almost like a daily countdown from him no, sending his text like I, I, oh, two days to go. Yeah, well, it, it, to be fair, and as a bit of solidarity to my fellow thirty-year-old, it, it's a troubling moment. It's um, it's it's not quite the sort of the life-changing, you know. Um, altering of perspective that some people make it out to be but it is quite different because you sort of you wake up and you you suddenly start thinking you suddenly start sort of suffixing everything in your life with a kind of yeah but I'm 30 now should I be doing that and that's kind of a that's quite a disorientating feeling um so I feel for Jack but he is in Italy so I don't feel for him too much <laughs> yeah, he he sent us a well. He say he sent us. He tweeted a picture, didn't he, from Byron's grave, <laughs> which is 
it's almost like he was he planned this bit, the uh, the trip specifically just to go and get that that podcast Easter egg out for us. But um, I understand what you're saying with the the age difference and making a bit of a difference. I had that that same sort of strange feeling a couple of years ago when I was a when I went twenty and I was I wasn't a teenager. Oh, anymore. Fuck it was a strange off. Feeling. Just stop talking. Just, <laughs> just no, 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 no. Uh, I'd rather to get like, I'd rather talk about getting beaten by Chelsea than than you do that. Yeah, and, of instead like, of my my eternal youthfulness yeah, compared about, to yourself, you know, losing your baby teeth or you know, yeah, that's, uh, I feel, really feel my first pube. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm just about in. Uh, I'm just. I was going to make a joke then. That I don't think I should do. I don't think I said that's a good that, road to tread. Really. That, that's, yeah, that's I was. Good. I was going to make a joke about news that had broken today, but I'd. Uh, I'd stay well clear of that at the moment, given our. Yeah. Our propensity to <laughs> lie to lie ourselves and, uh, <laughs> and slander people. Yeah. But if we move on to the uh, the cup final, um, you, you you're obviously a little more downbeat than I am. I'm. I thought it was. It was pretty much what I expected, to be honest. It's not something that I was too downbeat about whatsoever. The performance from Chelsea was as I'd expected from a Mourinho sign in a final. They weren't expansive at all. They weren't taking any risks. They played as an awful lot of respect by making a massive gamble by playing a centre-back out of position purely to not leave themselves short in midfield because they knew the damage we could do to them there. I think, if anything... It was counterproductive the way in which we beat them on New Year's Day because they were uh, even more hyper-aware of what we could do to them in the cup final, which allowed them to be slightly more... I'm not going to say negative because I think that's harsh on what they've done, but it's, it's a lot more measured and a lot more you know, respectful of us as a team, which is an awful long way for us to have come from, you know, a few weeks before that, even when, even though we gave a good account of ourselves we were getting beaten 3-0 by them. It was... Um, it was good to see how how cynical they had to be. There was a lot of professional fouls from a lot of tactical fouling. They were they were clinical in the sense that they scored goals when they had half opportunities, but they were very fortunate in that they scored by a two deflections. And I don't think they would have done had they not got those um, little rickets off our players. But come full time, as I say, I was really proud of them. Um, we we didn't impress ourselves in an attacking sense nearly as well as we could do. Um, I don't think we had many shots on goal, if we had any at all. Um, especially towards the end of the game, I'd be surprised. The, the early Christian Eriksen free kick is probably the the closest we got, and that was very unfortunate for him that it wasn't a, a shade or two lower. And there was another another uh, moment further on in the game when, they had, when he had a free kick on the edge of the box that he took quickly rather than... Um, lining up himself because I think they were just panicking slightly and rushing to try and get back into the game and try and cut the deficit as soon as quick uh, as possible but from, from your opinion I mean I'm obviously I'm not in a happy clappy sense but just in a sort of realistic sense I'm quite happy with what we've done but from your perspective would you agree with that disagree with it no, did you see it as a lot I, more negative I, I no I completely agree with you I, I think when um when it became clear that, that the game was lost I mean, all the way through that game, I, I I remember thinking, I am very proud of this because this is this is not a typical Tottenham performance. This is, I mean, our, our players weren't inhibited. I thought um, I thought a couple of them were were absolutely brilliant. I thought Eric Dyer was fantastic. Um, Abel Bentaleb was was arguably our best player. 
Uh, Mason was good. Did you see that the uh, the Metro gave him a four out of ten? Yeah, Metro just won attention. I mean, it's it's that, that's sort of a distant relative of their, you know, of all the sports news they report and the kind of well, let's get the clicks first and let's get people on Twitter talking and you know, flowing onto our website. It's not it's not a serious, you know, it's not credible anything. Um, <laughs> all humour departed me there a little bit, didn't it? <laughs> <laughs> I think you're right because I think it is fairly ridiculous. I mean, I look at look at the haircut it, on that guy on their main um on their <laughs> on their on their main guy man. It, it, it just like you, you, how can you wake up in the morning and you know like everybody else you get dressed and you you know you you, you choose your shirt and you know and put your shoes on and then you have one last look in the mirror and you think yeah yeah no no that that's the haircut for me that you just think and, and I, I don't know I just um. The man's personal appearance is somewhat better than his uh, sports writing, though, which goes a long way to tell you how how bad his, uh, well, his just, output usually is. I just think it's. I mean, it, just to, sort of to stray off topic, I just think it's um, symptomatic of a lot of the stuff out there at the moment. It's just utterly. It's not good. It's not bad. It's just completely pointless. It just has no no value. Um, yeah. And it, I was discussing this with um, actually um, Mickey Hazard. Uh, mentioned this on Twitter a few hours ago and he was clearly pretty mortified that that Bentleb had got such a low mark. And I, I agree with him actually because like, Metro isn't a purely a London paper, but I am um, this is a young boy who's played really, really well in a cup final. I think he was the best player over both sides. I think he was the the man of the match. Well I thought, you know, there was no usually when someone like that gets exposed to a Wembley final, they're they're a bit nervy. They don't quite express themselves as they can do. You know, their touch is a little bit loose. I thought Benetton was fantastic. And yeah, as he's been throughout most of this season, actually. And to find someone giving him a 4 out of 10 for a bit of, you know, to prod the Tottenham fan base, I just thought was, yeah, why don't you fuck off? I mean, just just take a break from the kind of the, the sort of the furnace of bullshit that you produce day after day and respect the fact that this is just, a kid that's you know played pretty well in a cup final and and I know something about it. Ordinarily, I, I can laugh that stuff off and just ignore it, but I just thought actually, you know, it just extend him a bit of courtesy, maybe. Uh, yeah, and not to go the other way or anything, not to be too reactionary or knee jerk, but the way in which Bentaleb is. Either some people really rate him and see the player he could become as we do, or they they have a real dislike for him and an unappreciation of of what he brings to the side and what his role within the side is because it is quite nuanced because it's not obvious it's not you know it's not Harry Kane grabbing the headlines it's not those goals so it reminds me yeah it reminds me of um of how Modric, when he first came into the country, was perceived as being too lightweight and he did the simple things rather than doing anything too good. And to an extent, that's still what his career has gone like. He's still not as big a player in Europe as he should be. Um, but that's by the by. But with, with Bentaleb, he, he he seems to fly under the radar, whereas he's, he's absolutely fantastic. And it, I, I think I'm right in saying that he's yet to be offered a not offered but he's yet to sign a contract publicly that is any bigger than the one he had when he was a youth team player so given that Kane signed a new contract and Mason has I'd expect us to be signing Bentaleb to a a five-year six-year contract by the end of this season as as 
just to safeguard his future at the club as best we can, to be honest. I'm surprised, actually, that that didn't get done before the Mason contract. I um, I mean, I, I really like my, Ryan Mason, but um, I think I've, I've said before on the pod that, that Ben Tleb is the one out of those those, those three players he, he look at and go, yeah, you're going right to the top of the game. Um, and, yeah, I mean, if, if that's not... A, I, I mean, I, I, I can't... Um, I, I can't... Uh, see a situation where that's not a priority at Tottenham at the moment to, 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 to look at him and go, okay, you are now, you've gone from being, uh, you know, uh, a, a youth team irrelevance to being an integral part of the first team within, within the space of 12 months that has to result in a, um, in, in a, in a pay rise and a, you know, a long-term future. Um, but it, your Modric, your Modric parallels is really interesting because I completely agree with you. I, I think the knock on Modric from, and I don't want to offend, uh, anybody i've already done that quite a bit today so let's take a break from that but i i um people 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 used to people too many people look at football as a kind of you know the sort of weird binary situation whereby you know anybody other than the defender should be scoring loads and loads of goals it's that simple and, and people you say about the modric oh he needs to add goals to his game and you just think well no he doesn't actually because if you watch him i modric is one of those guys that i am. Um, I think you only really appreciated if either you were, you know, a smart in a kind of analytical sense or you watched him every week. Um, and I, I was fortunate enough to be a season ticket holder during, during Modric's time at the club. And he was, I, I don't want to sound pretentious, but it was, it, there were times when it was just a privilege to watch him as a, as a pure footballer and as someone that had a complete mastery of all the sort of the basic fundamentals of the game. And the way he saw what was around him, which again, that, that's something you, you really, I think you only really appreciate when you know you're sat in the stand and you see the whole whole pitch. Not quite as a player would do, but in that same sort of way. Um, and Bentleb is kind of the same. I mean, he, he's a slightly different player. He's a slightly more defensive player, and he has a, a few more rugged attributes than, than Modric ever did. But um, there's that quality to him. It's just if he has. You know, he has the defensive side of his game, but everything he does is kind of pleasingly technique-based. It's just really nice to watch as a player. Um, and uh, uh, you, you touched on it. There, there are still people who, who don't get Ben's level or, 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 you know, don't want to or, you know, still still can't get rid of the Sherwood Association, which, yeah, it's forgivable. Um, but I think it's the only redeeming quality that Tim Sherwood has yeah. at the club is the fact that Ben will just come out of it. I mean, even in some of the most scathing things I've said and written about Sherwood, I am always mindful to mention the fact that Bentaleb was a byproduct of that. And it's almost worth that, that awful six months we had to endure while he was, you know, as I say, giving his public version of Ophelatio while he was at the club was to, to get this lad out of the deal was probably worth it for us. But um and you, you you touched on Eric Dyer as well, who I think dealt with Costa very well. He, he looked at home with um, with Vertonghen, and, and during the commentary, they, they made the point of of um, pointing out the fact that he denied going on an under twenty ones duty so that he could actually work on his defensive games as centre back rather than being sort of pushed into the side as a right back. And he he seems to be getting the the rewards for that now. Um, he certainly seems to be above the pecking order of, of Fazio, who's not done great since his injury. Do you, do you think he's going to be probably there till the end of the season with Vertonghen now? Uh, I, I don't know. I, I, um, I haven't completely... I, I, I'm, I think 
you, I, and Jack are all completely aware of Fazio's uh, limitations. I, I still think there are situations when, you know, he 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 is a preferable option to Dyer, and you know, we've got to be mindful that Dyer is, you know, is still learning, and he was great, really great on um, yesterday. Um, but there will be, you know, he he will have bad moments again. Um, I think there's, I, I, I'm a, I, it's a hard one because I'm, I'm a firm believer in, in having a, a centre-back pairing and sticking with it because, you know, chemistry in that position is so important. Um, but I, yeah, not quite ready to give up on Fazio. I think if we were to play, if we were to play against a side who were built around, a, you know, one principal centre-forward, um, I'm going to be cliched and, and say Stoke, <laughs> even, even though they're not quite that side anymore. Um, then I, th- I still think Fazio has a has a job. Certainly, you know, it, at, set, at defensive set pieces, I I I think Fazio is a real asset. Even if in open play, his he you know with his um you know has the kind of turning circle of a Lancaster bomber, so not that great. But it, I, it, I'm not interested in in, in like um, in pouring over the gory details of the goals we consider. No, I think neither. we've given. We've given Chelsea as much respect as, as possible, given the the performance they put in, and it was entirely professional. And they showed that they were the better side. Let and me ask more you something side. quickly first, because uh, uh, I'm going to I'm going to play host fleetingly. Um, when at half time, okay, there, there was um, you know, Terry Terry scored just before half time, obviously, and there was all this talk about, oh, that's a classic Mourinho performance, and and oh, what a master plan, and. And I just thought, like, I, I, I've got enormous respect for Jose Mourinho and, and what he is as a coach. And I'm under no illusions as to how astute he is. But there's always this bollocks around him. As if, I mean, the way I looked at that first half was, we weren't quite good enough to take advantage of a situation where we were the better side. And all those holes in the Chelsea midfield and, and all the possession of, uh, you know, Bentleb had and Chadley had uh, and Ericsson had. That wasn't by design. That was a us getting the better of Chelsea situation. And yet it's always portrayed as kind of, no, it's all part of the Mourinho plot. Is that how you saw that? In a very obtuse manner, yes. Not in an acute one. I don't think he, he planned to get a deflected goal in the 45th minute. As some people say, that was, that was you know, he, he had that noted down. as, as when knew Danny Rose was going to misjudge that header all the time. Yeah, he always knew that, yeah. Yeah, I don't think that was the case, but I think there is a, a point with Mourinho where he he happily does allow his side to be second best, and that is actually part of his plan. And it's only be, it's only because he's done it previously. Yeah, no, I well, I, I don't disagree with that at all, and, and I, I I think it, that there's I mean we've seen it actually at the Etihad before when he's done that and he's he's been very successful, but I I that wasn't that yesterday. That was a kind of that Zuma decision didn't go well in the first forty-five minutes. There was a an inability to exert any kind of pressure on, um, which is part of his game to you know to restrict passing options and to take away time in, in sort of when um, when opposing players have the ball deep in their own half. And there was none of that. Um, the second half completely different. He did a masterful job of locking that game up. Um, but I just so I mean it annoyed me. So I thought I, I'd. And I don't really have anyone to moan. No, I agree to an extent. I think they were entirely, I think they were entirely fortunate to go in the first half ahead. They, they didn't deserve that whatsoever. 
uh, the manner that they stepped off and things like that, it was just, it was vaguely reminiscent of the way his inter side performed, the way at the new camp, or the way his Porto side performed at Old Trafford when they beat him there. It's just, it's just one of those tactics you know that he he does and he and he prepares for so well. And it wasn't, it wasn't a surprise to necessarily see Tottenham take the the front foot, the, the only way to really shock a Mourinho side in that manner is to actually take your chances and score. And we, we unfortunately, we, we just weren't able to do that. I think the one, I, I was actually writing about this today for an article that will come out tomorrow. Um, and one of the statistics I looked at was the, the average age of our side was just 23 and theirs was 27 and a half, pushing 28. And if you look at their age, that's that's essentially your prime They've got three players in their early 30s. They've got a lot of players around 27, 28. And that is when they have been in several cup finals. They have, they've walked the walk and everything like that. All the, all the cliches are in there. They've experienced pretty much everything there is to experience in the game by that point. Whereas because this is our cup first cup final with these young lads in their early 20s, Hugo Lloris at 28 is our most experienced player. Vertonghen at 27, Chadley at 25. These aren't very old players. These aren't people. Well, people who forget are, Ericsson's only very, twenty-two as well. You know, twenty twenty-three now. He's, oh, he's just, just turned twenty-three. 23 oh. Yeah, the start of the year. But again, at the early twenties, this isn't really a huge thing for them. They've never been in a, a cup final in this country before, and many of them haven't played proper tournament football. I mean, it stands to stay for for Bentaleb the fact that he's played in the African Cup of Nations in the World Cup is half the reason that it was something I brought up a, a few podcasts ago is how well he's been handled by Algeria as bought into how he's matured too quickly. And that's not really the case with some of the other ones. So it's it wasn't really a shock for me that, that Chelsea were... Just more comfortable in the in the environment, um, but I, I think they, if this Tottenham side, as I, as I tweeted from the rules of roost account, if those boys all stay together and carry on in the same sort of trajectory they are now, with the same sort of management style and and ambition, and if the boardroom buy into that and everything, then there'll be other finals for them, and they'll probably be better equipped for it in time to come. But. This one just, the analogy I used was it was like when a boxer gets a, a shot at the world title, won too many fights too soon. It was just, it was one of those where the person knew that they could they could just smartly box their way through 12 rounds and, and get away with it on points. And I think that's how Chelsea won it. Chelsea won it on points. They didn't knock it out. It wasn't a resounding victory. It was probably probably a split split decision on cards if you want to completely rinse the analogy but it was it was it was, it was like one of those the boxing analogy is good cause it's like one of those fights you watch where like you're getting plenty of shots in on the favorite but none of them are particularly clean and none of them are really hurting the opponent and none of them are really destabilizing them in any way it's just sort of soft jabbing which you know that's not a criticism of Tottenham because i i I know I sound very negative, but there was a lot of good yesterday, and I was, you know, I was also very. You, you've touched on it a couple of times. I, 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 it, it's it's a great thing to see to see your players walk out of Wembley and to see so many players who are a product of the club itself. Um, there was, I know we probably overstate this, and we have done all the way through the season, but it's a, there's a real novelty there, especially in in 2015, uh, and that was a lovely thing, and. Uh, you know, the only disappointment comes from from those boys not being able to to go home with a winner's medal. I think. Yeah, not to not to be too down on Chelsea as I often am, just by the very nature of what that club represents in a in a, in a sporting sense. But um, the fact that 
are we in that side of essentially sustainably grown them? There are, there are kids from our youth side. There are people we've bought for fees that we've got from money that the club has self-generated, a self-sustaining club. There's no debt there. There's no financial doping of any manner. There's nothing... It's, it's, it's purer. And I, I know you always get accused of moral superiority, but <laughs> that, that, that high ground is ours in a, in a game against Chelsea. It's not. It's not something I'm seeking against Chelsea because it, it goes without saying. I mean, the fact that people were saying yesterday that they were they were leaving the ground yesterday and there were Chelsea fans on the train before they were was half the argument there already. But that's not something I'm wishing. And Chelsea aren't even part of the argument. If you if you just look at yourself as as a, as a Tottenham fan and the, the club, it, I I'm so much prouder of us being able to say that we've done it ourselves. It's it's not it's not. I don't want to be patronising and say we're the little train that could, but we're doing this properly. We are not taking shortcuts. This is not, you know, we've not just jumped into bed with somebody who's trying to legitimise their funds in a public company in England and are taking a shortcut to a title. We are building this. And say what you want about Daniel Levy and Enoch. They are many things, but they are not, <laughs> they are not the worst owners in this country. And I, I would take them hand over fist every time I could if they gave me the choice between them and a, a, a sort of a City or Chelsea model. Well, or you mean, they're also the devil you know because, like, you know, there's the City and the Chelsea model, you know, there's good and bad parts of that. But also, you know, a new new ownership is, is essentially a roll of the dice. And, you know, you, you, you could be another Chelsea. Well, you can't because of financial fair play now. But previously, you could be another Chelsea or Man City, but you could be another Blackburn. Or another Newcastle, and, and, and so Leeds United's the Leeds one that United, always. Well, I mean, Leeds United was just so preposterous that it doesn't even belong in the conversation. But <laughs> well, they they were the they are the one that whenever people bring up the, the there's always that argument that why don't Enoch ever sign that one player who's ten million more here or twenty million more here? Why do we always fall down when there's third party ownership involved? And I always look to Leeds because it was the the club I always grew up with. Um, where all my friends supported them and I supported Tottenham. Tottenham would always finish in the lower half of the table and lose to Leeds usually tw- twice a season. And they'd all laugh at me, oh, why do you support this shit club? Uh, we're in the Champions League semi-final against Grasshoppers or whatever they were. Where are they and now, Rod? Where are they now? <laughs> exactly. But... They were they they tried to they were over ambitious and they tried to overspend and they they did buy the player that was just ten million more and they did buy the player who's just five million more and because that wasn't sustainable and then they self combusted it financially they're now on the bottom end of the championship and they don't look like coming back to the Premier League anytime soon so I'd much rather we lived within our means and didn't gamble with the future of the club just for a quick payoff it's um well there's um there's a really interesting story about Leeds and 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 it's kind of this is um this tells you everything you need to know I, I think it was um I years and years ago I read um Robbie Fowler's autobiography uh my reading habits have matured since then but I um it's uh <laughs> he was talking about his move to Leeds and um I think I think it was him anyway. He um he he was discussing personal terms with uh Peter Ridsdale or him and his agent were and they'd asked for something pretty high uh something which you know I, I think Farrer admitted at the time that you know was a little bit on the um at the top of the scale and um supposedly Ridsdale didn't even blink. He was just like yeah it's fine. There was no semblance of negotiation. There was no I remember th- this is a Chinese fan uh, eight million pounds and Seth Johnson. 
Um, so I'm Jason Wilcox. Fowler himself, as we all know, was never the same player beyond, you know, maybe 1998, 99. And, and it was just a sort of, you can have that kind of, and, and I'm sure, you know, I'm sure your, your Leeds friends loved it at the time, all these, you know, because those were good players and Johnson... Oh, yeah, Alan Smith on the back of the uh, shirt. Uh, Alan Smith, then, uh, you know. Uh, they, 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 then he went to Man United. Uh, <laughs> Rio Ferdinand there, Olivier Decor. That was a good, good team. Michael Bridges. Harry Kewell. Harry Kewell, Mark, Mark Viduka. Yeah, absolutely. And um, and you can have that sort of short-term, oh, wow, look what our club are doing. But then the, the, the alternative is a sort of a more frugal chairman, someone that won't mess about with the wage structure or, you know, what the club could actually afford to spend. And it's frustrating as hell sometimes. And, you know, let's not be revisionist. Levy is an irritating owner at times. But then the club has a stability as a result of that. And and that's that's always the that's always the asterisk against the um against the Levy complaints. Yeah, I, I definitely think it's the the lesser evil. But if we uh if we draw a line, a line under the cup final and we say, you know, fantastic achievement to get there it was a lot more than we're expecting from this season so far we've we've overachieved in terms of how far the progression of the the tactics being implemented the mentality change within the club not only as a supporter base but as a a team and what the team believe in themselves is there and it was just a just one final too soon for us and there's no shame in that whatsoever there's no no loss of pride and there'll be other finals and that's 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 all that can be really said there's no no point to mind or to dwell too long on it because we've we've got a game on Wednesday and that's pr- probably the best possible thing for us is the fact that we're only in one competition now so we, we may be able to experiment with the squad hopefully a little bit more it depends what Pochettino wants to do and this is something that we can we can talk about now is the one thing that uh, the cup final didn't give us any new tidbits about the squad it didn't suddenly give us an epiphany about the squad it, it, if on it just highlighted what we already knew, essentially, the, the fact that we have an extremely good first eleven, but then the players that we have available under that aren't of the same level. So going forward, do you think we're going to be giving more chance to the likes of Soldado and Polino, um to try and impress themselves towards the end of this campaign, or are we just going to be playing the, the same eleven players and, and getting them in the best possible shape together heading into the summer and then we're just going to be cutting all the fat we possibly can and and just try to reinvest that money in a better standard of player because we've got the likes of players like Stambouli who, who've just appeared fleetingly across the season and not in any sort of manner whatsoever and they they very much seem like the second choice when they join the club and they don't ever seem like they're, they're somebody who even the manager's particularly excited about being able to, to play. And I'd almost want us to, to just uh, not being too harsh on the players because he's actually a quite functional, good player when he wants to be. But if it's just a case of he's there because he was the best possible option that summer, I'd rather we just cut the entire lot and start again from scratch with using the spine that we've already got of the likes of Larice Dyer Walker and... And Bentaleb, Mason, Kane, and Ericsson, and we we kept all that there, and then we just sort of built part by part around that, rather than try to do what we end up usually doing and doing an entire overhaul in one summer, which never really works because it's like what what we end up doing is it's like you know when you play Monopoly and you've got that person who always just ends the cheap 
just buys the cheap half of the board, so they get like Old Kent Road and Paul Mall and stuff like that. And they've got about twenty of those properties, but they only get about two pound every time lands on them. I'd rather we just skipped all them and just bought Mayfair and just left it at that. If you if you understand what I'm saying, I I do. I I don't think um, I don't think we're a Mayfair buying club. Um, no, I don't mean Mayfair is in like the very best, but Mayfair in a Tottenham sense. So we do, yeah. So if rather than targeting five good prospects, we target one great prospect and bring him in for us. So like when we bought them seven players in the summer, we had Chadley, Eriksson, Kirikesh, Polino, Soldado, uh, Lamella. We you kind of you pick the best one out of them. Obviously, the best one out of them, without even having seen them pull on a Tottenham shirt before that, is Christian Eriksson for eleven million. If you're ever offered that deal and you're a club as Tottenham are in the aspirational sense you take that deal every day every day of the week and even Chadley for 8 million is probably one that you do because 8 million pounds is is, is toilet paper in the modern game unfortunately that's a sort it, of business it's a Jake it is Livermore now. isn't it exactly we, we, got, <laughs> we got the same money back for Jake that's a perfect way of saying it and Shane Long went for more than that I think so it's, uh, 11 it's, million it's pounds a, yeah I think it's a you know it's not even a risk, is it? So you do that sort of deal, but the the ones where it seems like it's perhaps just a, a force deal, maybe Polino for seventeen million or what have you. I think. Do you think it's time that the, the club are going to cut their losses, or do you think it's one that we're in in the very much Tottenham sense we're going to try and get the very best out of them for as long as possible? I don't. Polino is a really interesting one because it, it, come the summer, nothing would really surprise me. I mean, I. You know, I know a lot of people want him sold, but it's one of those where you think, where you think, you know, I, I, there's something about him where there's, I, I don't, I, I don't, um, I don't necessarily see the logic in completely giving giving up on him because I think there is a player there. Um, I think I remember watching him in the um, in in the uh, it's the Confederations Cup, isn't it? That goes before the year before the World Cup. Yeah, three years ago. Now, yeah, yeah, that tournament, and um, I. I remember being really excited by him. I remember looking at him and going, yeah, this guy can play. And, and not just because he was starting for Brazil at the time, but because there is a lot of technique there. And, and I think if he could be... Um, I think if, if you look at Tottenham this year, I think the way to, to evaluate the situation is look at what the team has grown into. Pochettino's success hasn't been just a result of coming in and picking the right players. He's identified players who he wants to build his team around, but he's got them playing in a specific way. And if you look back at this season, I don't think there's an argument that can be made to say that Polinio has been given the chance to um, mould himself into a Pochettino-friendly component, um, if that's not a too pretentious way of putting it. No, no, I completely understand. But I just don't, I, just, I, would feel, I would feel slightly uncomfortable with letting him go. And look, if, if someone wants to come in and offer a silly amount of money for him, then you know, uh, financial logic dictates, okay, you probably take it. But if it's a question of saying, right, well, you know, give us 10 million and you can have him. I, I don't agree with that. I I, I, um, I think he is a useful player. I, I think a lot of fans have got into that. He's become like a, he, he's become a sort of a parody figure, which is not really fitting who he is because he's never truly been dreadful for Tottenham. He's just, he's never really been anything. Um, he's been, he's had games where he's been very ineffective. He's had games when, you know, he's he he's let himself down a little bit. His distribution hasn't been particularly good, and there are times when you think that even he doesn't really understand what he's supposed to be doing on a pitch. But he is a good footballer. 
Um, and he's young enough whereby we've seen what Pochettino can do. I, I, I really like Ryan Mason, and I think he's a very talented footballer, but there's an element of his progression which is quite startling in that he's become a viable Premier League option very, very quickly from being a League One footballer last, last season. And you're thinking, OK, if you, if you give Polino the summer off, you let him come back for pre-season and you condition him properly. You wrote an article right at the beginning of the year about um, his um, about how cumulative... Yeah, essentially you, you what, describe what it, it was, was yeah. He's, when, around the time of the World Cup, I was sort of... It struck me how much football he'd been playing because most of the time when his technique abandons him and, and when he looks short of confidence and pace, it just looked like he's he's completely mentally and physically broken. So I wanted to explore that hypothesis and I went back and looked at his, his career and his appearances for the past few seasons. So I went back until he joined Corinthians. So this was about five seasons ago. And the way in which a Brazilian season works is it's actually split so that it, they end up playing football for 11 months out of 12 because the Copa Libertadores starts and then finishes just a month before the, the league season finishes. So there's only one month in the summer where theoretically they have off in Brazil. So he did that for two seasons in a row. And only had a month to himself in between, and that month you can you can probably imagine he's, he's training and, and he's still keeping fit in that month. It's not like they were going to give him. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort. So you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 40% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition smart bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. This Mother's Day, celebrate the extraordinary women in your life with a heartfelt gift from Blue Nile. Whether it's for your mom, a mother figure, or yourself as a mom, find that perfect piece to express your love and appreciation. Explore Blue Nile's exquisite pearls and mesmerizing gemstones that she's sure to love. Enjoy fast shipping options like guaranteed free shipping and returns. Make this Mother's Day unforgettable with a piece from Blue Nile. Right now, get up to 50% off at BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. A month away. Um, so he's he's played two different competitions there. So he's he's playing the the first division in in Brazil, and then their their equivalent of the Champions League for a few months after that. And then he's going into the Brazil squad. So he's got a summer there where he's he's going straight from club football, which is overlapping with the the summer internationals, and he's going straight into that. And then he's diving straight back into club football. So there's no break whatsoever. And then he's going into another another Premier League season with Tottenham. Then he's going into a World Cup and then he's coming back straight into another Premier League. And essentially, I think it worked out in about 18, 24 months or something like that, even longer. He'd, he'd had about four months off where there was, there was like, where no, no, no competitive football was being played. But you could probably still imagine he was doing pre-seasons and things like that. And that is essentially like... Remember when you had tapes back when VHS was popular and if you used the VHS too much, it would break and it would just wear down. <laughs> I think that's what he is. I think he's a, he's a broken VHS. He's just been, he's been played too many times. And 
I think this season the reason he's he's not been he's not been played as much as he maybe could have been is because the club have actually twigged onto that a little bit more. They've appreciated that, and he's probably got more wear and tear than they're letting on because of the amount of football he's been playing. And if he does be allowed to have the experience of having a summer off and then only coming back to Tottenham and, and give, being given a proper conditioning session and proper pre-season, he may well kick on, but he could reach the point where sports psychology is something I'm, I'm actually quite interested in, something that I, I try my best to try and understand as best as I can and speak to people that are, I know within psychology as an industry and specifically in sports psychology and things like that because it's, I think it's the next frontier for, for not professional sport because some of them have clearly twigged on to that aspect of it but I think in football in very many senses we're naive to, to very different things. I think, you know, sexuality is one of them in football that we've not yet overcome we've got no gay footballers we've, we've spoken previously about race in football which is not only pandemic in this sport but across society and I think mental health is one that we've not yet really properly looked into at football I think they had Steve Peters is it the the chimp guy yeah at Liverpool that they had who did all the work with Chris Hoy and, and Ronnie O'Sullivan um, who helped them in the season they were doing really well in but nobody else has really explored it's something that we need to look into and I think Polino is just pretty much just he's just he doesn't believe in himself anymore and I think that's one of the reasons but I'd agree that perhaps he's he's not one would be looking to get rid of I think Saldado might be different because he has been given a chance I, I, I as think, much as we like I, him. I just I want to stop him struggling I I, I, I can't bear to watch it I, I really like Roberto Saldado I, and I you know I, I still think he's a very good player and I, I think if you gave him a do-over at another club he would start scoring goals again I just think sometimes it just doesn't work um, for whatever reason and, and and it would just be it would seem kind of merciful just to let him let him go back. I think he's built for Spanish football, really, and and I think I think even in Serie A he could do quite well. Yeah, I think he probably do quite well in Serie A. And, yeah. and Italian football, he would he would kick on if somebody like Inter was looking for a striker, or even Milan, who who was struggling as well up front. If they could find somebody like Soldado, who they could just feed and and oh, put on a pedestal that he's well, perhaps not you know, put on at Tottenham. I, I, I think you know he, he would work for someone. Um, so so yeah, uh, him, I Adebayo will go, Kapu will go, uh, uh, Kabul will Kabul. go. Yes, of course, yeah. Um, Lennon is probably. It depends if Everton take him, up their option or yeah, not. Yeah, I can't see him playing for Tottenham again. I mean, if you if 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 it makes quite a statement if you're willing to loan someone like that out in the middle of a season, I don't think Pochettino sees his future at Spurs. Um, and then, and that, as harsh as that is, the the fact that we touched on the fact he was so close to his testimony and everything, I'd rather the fact the club backed him and and Pochettino was allowed to make that decision. We've still got players on loan like Holtby. Do you think Holtby's going to be given a chance? I, I, or do I you think like he's to, going to be given back to Germany. I'm a big fan of Holtby. I I I, I think um, he's another one who I, I he's there, there are flaws in his game, and and you know also from a pressing point of view, Holtby is quite a quite erratic on the pitch without the ball. He's he's not someone that you, you know, he's a very good ball player. He's got lovely vision. He's a good playmaker. But he, is he someone that you could ever say, right, you're going to press high up the pitch, but you're going to do it in a disciplined way? Or are you, is he someone that would just become a headless chicken? And and that's that's a real problem for within a Pochettino system because that's a, that, that kind of breaks the integrity of, of any kind of off-the-ball pressing. I'd like to see him given a chance. 
Uh, he's he Holt is one of those players. He lacks the maturity of somebody who's younger than him, and somebody like I just want to lock him in a room with Bentaleb and just for Bentaleb just to try and teach him what composure is, because he, he permanently just runs around like a kid in a sweet Yeah, shop. yeah. As endearing as that is, it doesn't particularly work in in a system as as specific as the one that Pochettino is trying to get across. And I just think he's, he's useful. I mean, he's someone that okay, put it this way. I know he's injured at the moment, and I'm not quite sure when he's he's due back. But if he'd been fit and if he'd stayed in England, he would have been used at some point over the last week. And 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 when you know he's not like I mean Aaron Lennon's slightly different. You, you you think well would he have been used at any point? Would he have been of use to anyone in Fiorentina? Yeah. There were whispers with uh, with Holtby, um, not even just this last summer, but the the window beforehand when he went to Fulham. Um, that he was, and he and his agent in, in cahoots were not particularly best pleased that they weren't starting in the first team for Tottenham. And there were noises coming out of the club that he was expecting first team football and he wasn't willing to sit around and, and earn his place in second team. Shot, okay, you know, well, that's a red flag right there then, because I, I, I don't like any time I hear that from a player. I put a you know a red mark against his name. I just think no. If you're not in the first team and you're unhappy about it, do something about it. Well, that, I, w- I would completely agree, but that's only conjecture. That's things I've no, no, sure. been confirmed. I, I, but I mean, if that is the case, then then fair enough that he was loaned away. That that's because that's the one thing that has no place at at the, at, at the club at the moment under this particular manager. Because quite clearly, it's a sort of it, it is kind of a footballing um, meritocracy. Like, I think theoretically we could probably get rid of uh, between about five to eight players this summer quite easily, and they're they're not even players who have really made an impression on the squad whatsoever for quite some time. So it wouldn't be it wouldn't be making the squad that much smaller. It would actually just be that's a great point making the pool of players that we're playing and paying <laughs> more importantly. Well, I just think also I, I, I I'm really interested by what happens in the summer because I. We, for the first time, we have no real. We know how Paul Mitchell works. He knows exactly who the um, presumably who the summer transfer targets are already. Um, well, he's been he's been uh, he's been scouting Carlos Bacca a few times. Oh, already, I don't, hasn't I don't he? like Carlos Bacca at all. I um, <laughs> no, I I, I, no, I, I, there's a guy who we've got off well already. This summer's going to be fun. Yeah. <laughs> Shit. <laughs> no, he's not a bad player. It's just I, I just I, I just don't like him. I'm not contesting his value or, you know, how good he is. I just hate watching him. It's a head down kind of bull of a forward. I and mean, I don't know, it's just not my kind of footballer, really. Um, but I, no, I'm not going to argue with Paul Mitchell. He's made some pretty smart decisions <laughs> in the summer. So I can imagine you, the, the day that Spurs tweet out that Carlos Bacca holding up a shirt, Seb's going to be sat there at his desk penning a strongly worded email to An open letter Mitchell. to Paul Mitchell. <laughs> you can shove your black box up your ass. Stick your back up. I, 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 yeah, I'm not, I'm not too down on Bacca. I think for a club as Sevilla, who are quite a... Uh, he's got a good goal record. Low, he's a good, he yeah, low-to-middling club in La Liga to have the, the goal return he, he usually does. And it's not like he's just a flat-track bully. He doesn't always just score against the shit teams. He usually has a half-decent game against the better teams as well. So there's a little bit of pedigree to him. Um, and I think if he's allowed to 
have the have the time on field with Pochettino. We see what Pochettino can do with with making mediocre players better in you know with within the realms of what he does tactically. So I wouldn't have too much too much you know negativity around anyone he brings in because I would hope that it was you know some sort of collusion is there between Levy and Mitchell and Pochettino and Baldini. I hope it's not a too many cooks spoil the broth type of situation. So it's not um, one that dynamic though, because I, what what really is Baldini's role now? If it's if if he's not if he's not a principal decision maker. The way I the way I sort of came to sort of understand it myself, and, and this is no being by confirmed or anything. This is only my educated guess. Is that I imagine Mitchell is there to in tandem with Pochettino come up with the targets, and they will work together to bring up a shortlist. And then Levy will, with them, say who is viable and who is not, where he's got his checkbook in his hand. And he'll obviously, we know how that goes with Levy. So if Carlos Buck has got a younger brother we've not heard of, he would be more likely to... <laughs> he's to be he's, he's, him for he's him. three million cheaper. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, and then imagine Baldini's just there to go and grease hands, I think. He's, he's just, uh, he's smooth. You send him in at the last minute, he's your fixer, he's... You know, I'll go and wink and and talk and smile at the right people and and uh, and make the deals happen because I think I th- I, sh- I essentially think Baldini is there now for just the contents of his phone book, um, and as, uh, as cynical as that sounds, it is it probably goes a long way in a, in a business like football because of the people I've spoken to of who have worked behind the the Wizard of Oz curtain in that industry. It's a lot of a lot of who you know rather than what you know in in there and. If you can, if you can speak to the right people, you will get the right players. I remember um, people telling me that that sort of thing is, is fairly prevalent in transfers. So it's uh, it'll be interesting to see what happens. I imagine he's got a fair few agents already who are who are letting him know who's available and things like that. So um, it's uh, it's not too it's not too far away from the uh, realm of truth. But if we if we look ahead at the the two immediate games and try and get these out of the way as quick as possible, because People are probably going to have not listened to this by the time we play the first one, but Swansea at home, isn't it, on Wednesday night? They're, they're indifferent at the moment. I mean, they've established themselves at the top end of the Premier League. They're fairly good to watch still under Monk, although they're less pragmatic than they used to be, a bit more direct. Um, they, he's he's evolved them quite well since Laudrup and Rodgers had, had established them in the league, and he's sort of he's given them a bit more of a, a steady footing um, in the top half. Um, although they they are prone to losing the odd one here and there when they really shouldn't do, um, there's some inconsistencies there. But do you think there's going to be any any fear there from us? Do you think Kyle Norton's going to come back and haunt us? Uh, <laughs> no, 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 not specifically Kyle Norton. I, I think um, supposedly Gilby Sigerson should be fit to play. Um, and he there's a lot of talk about Sigerson earlier in the season and had. Swansea not sold Wilfred Boney, I would be a little bit fearful. Not necessarily because of what Sigurdsson is as a footballer, but because him and Boney had a, a really good partnership. I mean, if you look at the first two or three months of Swansea's season, um, the amount of goals that were directly attributed to those two players or work that those two players had done in tandem in sort of the preceding phases was remarkable. I mean, they, they had this... You know how some players just have the... Um, just know how to play with each other instinctively. That was, that was those two. They, they seem to really complement one another. Um, Swansea, 
since obviously since Bernie's gone, um, Bafa Gomez has come in, and, and Gomez is Gomez is a good player, and he's not necessarily someone that should be underestimated because he is a really good finisher. He doesn't. Oh, he's not nearly as three dimensional um, as Boney. Um, he doesn't hold the ball up as well, um, and he doesn't suck defenders in when he has his back to goal quite as well as Boney used to. Um, so I don't think there's as long as they aren't necessarily a side that you should fear, but they're, they're a side who, if you don't play well against, they can carve you up. They've got a lot of ball players. They, you know, they, they have gone through, uh, despite having gone from Brendan Rodgers to Michael Laudrup, now to Gary Monk, their principles are, are fairly well enshrined. And that's the nature of them as a football club. Um, and so, you know, their, their side is still littered with ball players. Um, Ki Sung Young is an excellent player who I think is criminally underrated. Um, they've added Jack Court from Southampton, who's another, he's not really on the radar of a lot of people, but he is a very good player. And he he's a perfect, uh, you know, he's a sort of the archetypal Swansea midfielder. Um, and, you know, someone like Wayne Routledge can always, which is absurd given what we saw of him when he was at Spurs. But he is, he is he's one of the more dangerous wingers in the league. Um, John Joe Shelby, one of the most dislikable footballers in the country comfortably. Um, he's got that sort of Jordan Henson plastic hard man thing raging inside him at the moment. Um, he's someone that can be awful for 88 minutes and then rip one into the top corner from 30 yards in the 89th. They're, they're, they're a side that you can't, they're a side that you can't phone in a performance against is really what I'm trying to say. Uh, I don't think there's anything to fear, but there's also by the same token, they're absolutely not someone that you want to have a sort of post league cup come down against if that makes sense yeah i completely agree it's just one that as long as we're professional in we should they play well have to beat too them. much you fun. know it's one's your kind of barometer side mate they're, they're they're a team that if you beat them especially there in south wales if you beat them you're playing well they're what kind of they're what everton used to be a few years ago a sort of a a, a, a test um, they have very few off. It's at home though. This one. It is, it? but what I mean is, it's just that they're they're a resilient football team. They. I was just making sure I hadn't. Made no, it. no, no. They. Um, no. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's a white hot lane, but um, it's um, yeah. You, there's no, there's no. Um, they're not a, they're not a soft touch. Speaking of soft touches, the game after that we have QPR away at the the Ethics model version of White Hart Lane at Loftus Road. Pokey little shithole. Yeah. It's, it's every time I see pictures and of it and stuff like that, it essentially looks like he, somebody has looked at White Hart Lane and gone, you know what, I like that. But if we knock about twenty twenty thousand seats out of it, we'll we yeah, can have the, our the own. The funny version. thing about Loftus Road is, I um I used to work in sport and um used to work as a, a marketing agent. So what I typically do is is sell sponsorship opportunities that existed within sports teams, generally football clubs. Um, so sort of shirt sponsors or um, sort of corporate packages or the, all, all the way down to, to advertising hoardings. And so I, I spent, I used to work with, um, I hope I'm not breaking any kind of confidentiality here, but... Um, no, go ahead, Don Draper, I'm enjoying <laughs> But I, um, <laughs> I spent quite a bit of time at Loftus Road um, talking to one of the then, one of the guys who belonged in their marketing department. And the inner parts of the stadium are actually really, really nice. So you walk up and you, you go down South Africa Road where the, the BBC studios used to be and um, and it, it, it's quite a sort of, it, it, it's you know, not, a, not the nicest part, of, not the nicest part of London really. Um, but you go in there and it, Loftus Road from the outside just looks like a collection of sheds pushed together. But you go in and it's just these lavish hospitality lounges and they, they have something called the, um, 
the sea club which is it, it, it when you go inside it's like being in a um in a in a knightsbridge nightclub it's quite weird i wouldn't know um anyway yeah so if you go in and, and it's sort of you know it's sort of champagne in this uh is this a hangover of when they were bought like was it bernie Eccleston it was the start of that four-year plan process they came in and, and they didn't spend any money on the team, but they did put in a really nice hardwood finish on the floors. It's the weirdest <laughs> place. I I don't I I left that job nearly three years ago, so um, I haven't obviously been back to Loftus Road since then. But it was the most bizarre thing to be in this really nice environment, but then look out onto this absolute hole of the ground, um, and it's 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 kind of it's it's just a very it's, it's it was just a kind of a a mess of contradictions. It was very odd, but it's... Um... My only real insight of QPR is when I used to watch uh, Renford Rejects as a kid, <laughs> and they all used to be QPR fans, but that kid who used to pretend he was Italian and uh, and stuff like that. Was that. Is that too young for you, or do it you remember young, that? You know, we, we did this on, on WhatsApp with Jack, and you were coming up with all these new, um, new cartoons that, that you'd grown up with. There weren't no cartoons. I think it was stuff like Dexter's Laboratory and stuff like that. that you we we had we had like in Jack. You know what? Jack had an, a crazy knowledge of. Um... That's because Jack still watches cartoons to this day. He he pretends he's like he watches all these highbrow programs, but he sat there in his pants watching Ed Ed and Eddie. <laughs> that's that's not a good image to have when we're recording. That's throwing my concentration <laughs> a little bit. Um, but he he knew where they all came from. He knew the studios that they produced them. It was impressive. It was kind of like a. It's almost like he does his own animations, isn't it? It was almost like that, yeah, a little bit like that. Yeah, and let's not try and plug him too much. He's not even been bothered to turn up the. <sighs> not bad. Um... <laughs> <laughs> but if uh, we've got some listener questions, is, is that you, is that the sum of our, our QPR analysis? Just to trash yeah, their we'll... ground. We'll just beat both of them. QPR aren't really up to much, are they? I mean, Chris Ramsey's there and Les Ferdinand's the director of football. The club's a mess. I hope they go down and have as many financial penalties as possible just for being run by an absolute idiot who has just bought so many players and stockpiled so much shit. I feel sorry for him. I, 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 think he's been, I think he's been taken advantage of. I think he had a lot of enthusiasm for that club and I think he was... He, his intentions were, were generally good. I, I just think that someone like Redknapp was, was just... Yeah, but look at how much money he's made in other sports. Yeah, and man, he can't be that much though. of an idiot to be taken for a ride. But, but you, it, it's, it, football does funny things to rich men. Football does, you know, you, you put them in a marketplace where suddenly nothing makes sense and the value of everything is, is, is completely distorted and they just go, yeah, you know what, Jordan Much is probably worth £8 million. And people just people who who have spent their lifetime, as you say, making really, really smart business decisions, suddenly start doing things which you just think, "What are you thinking?" And and you know, you you put the wrong people around the Tony Fernandez, a red nap, and they get taken for a ride. And I, I, I that's how I, you know, I have no sympathy for red nap, and I will you know enjoy it ultimately when the camera focuses on Les Ferdinand's face when on that glorious day when they eventually get relegated. But, you know, I, Fernandez is, uh, yeah, he's no my cash. No, I have no sympathy for him. I think you, if you've got that much money, you need to be clever. You need to be cleverer with it. I mean, 
I ain't going to sit here and start crying over a multi-millionaire not being able to... No, well, it's not he's as severe not, as that. No, I, I agree with you, but... He's not bought the right toys for his pet project. I mean, he can he, he can grin and bear it for as far as I'm concerned because you don't have to know about football to know some of the things that they've been doing financially have been absolutely absurd. I mean, if he, even as the most basic... I think at one point they were their operational costs, they were running their wage bill was at 300% over the income of the club, over the, of the whole... And there's no matter what business background you come from, what football does to you and your wage bill and your your mind or whatever you've, you've, you alluded to, there's there's no point in which that makes sense. And it, just slap him with every fine possible. And if that means he goes running scared from the spot, then so be it, because he's obviously not got what it takes to succeed in this field. He, he, he's an advert for why... I'm not as bothered by Daniel Levy as other people are. So yeah, that's a fair point. That's, no, that is a great that's all. That's all I have to say on, on the matter. There is a Poundland version of the Manchester Cities and, and Chelseas of the world, and it, it's amusing to me that their own failed version of financial doping has blown up in their face quite so spectacularly. But um, yeah, we, we sh- I don't know. How Good luck with us getting on a QPR guy next time round. Uh, we had a nice one on last time. We, I've scared off enough people now to, for them to realise what they're going to get when they come on the show, uh, as we've as we've discussed this previously. But um, we, uh, you know, we'll, we'll see. Um, I've just they're not a club I've got any sort of affinity for. Is I guess what I'm trying to say. They're just they're just there for me. I mean, there are there are better run clubs and more imaginative clubs try to come through in the championship. So I'd rather see a, a Bournemouth or a Brentford come and have a season up here and, and see what they're made of rather than seeing the likes of Aston Villa and QPR squander like a beached whale every season in the lower regions of the Premier League. I mean, there's just no fun in that whatsoever for anyone. It's just a, a depressing sight and a stain on the league. So we'll uh, we'll soon see how, how they fare. If I could wish for one thing this season, it's Tim Shower to be relegated. I, I oh, completely agree with you. I mean, percent, Timmy, not percent win percentage. If, if he, can he's statistically if he the worst manager game. in Aston Villa's history. <laughs> can you imagine if he didn't win any games from between now and now and the end of the season? Can forgive anything else that happened. I just, 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 uh, oh, just oh, let's not tease ourselves with that. Anyway, you, if you do, if you pick out like two or three uh, listener questions, because I'll, I'll leave you in charge of that, because I think you've favourited them and whatnot. Yeah, I've got a few of them. Um, I've got one from Sammy Mills. Um, and he asks, uh, what are the realistic goals for the end of this season? And does do we think that Hugo Lloris will stay? What was the first part? What are the realistic goals for the end of the season between now and the end? I think we discussed that, didn't we, between sort of sorting out who we want to keep and who we want to get rid of and just try to solidify the, the first 11 and, and try and get as many points between yeah, now and then as possible. Yeah, I, I think what Sammy's getting at there is, is sort of what we probably expect result-wise between now and then. I think we're in the Europa League regardless now, aren't we? Having come second, so we've we've got European football, so that's not a worry. <laughs> um, I, I think Champions League's a, a ridiculous expectation, and if people are hanging their hat on that being some sort of realistic objective for us at the end of the season they're probably going to be extremely disappointed by the end of the end of the year so um i think we're just going to end up going through the motions and just trying to solidify what we've got to be honest as far as larice is concerned he's he's penned a new five-year contract didn't he this year um hopefully 
you know, uh, he's 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 he seems like the type who would who would be loyal to that. He's spoken out um, previously about his dislike for the likes of PSG and uh, Monaco in France. So the the lure of perhaps one of those clubs coming in for him is something I think he'd turn down. Um, perhaps somebody like Manchester City, if they were to get in a new manager and him take a shine to him, that might be a worry because um, they they do offer. Even for a footballer, they offer life-changing sums of money for them to go there. He'd be making in a in a month there what he'd he'd probably make in a season at Tottenham. So there's a there's an awful lot of difference for him there, and with his family settled, and I think I think he's got quite a young family here. So I'm um, I don't imagine he he's he's too you know too unhappy to be looking to go elsewhere anytime soon. I imagine he he probably harboured ambitions to be getting into the Champions League with Tottenham and that's probably the, the vision he was sold along with the likes of Vertonghen when they came to the club but it's just not come to pass as yet and uh, hopefully with what he's experienced this season with the new manager and things like that and especially with the armband and, and the the apparent effect he has in the dressing room and the vocal way he, he deals with the younger players and things like that is something I'd hope he, he bought into and wanted to stay on because he, he probably stayed at Leon for longer than he should have done given that he was obviously far too good for them and he's probably in a similar sort of situation with Tottenham now so it's just just for how long we can we can keep him interested I think is the uh, the only issue because I don't think he I don't think he's the type of player who's going to be selling his career up the river just to try and join a bigger club for, for, uh, for you know, just a, a bit more time in the Champions League or something like that. Hopefully, we we sort of sell the club to him a bit better than that. Yeah, I agree with that. I um actually, I, I'm searching through for all the questions that came through earlier, and my timeline is just littered with four lions quotes now. Just everywhere I look, it's just. As someone talking about rubber dinghy rapids, eat, swallow your SIM card. <laughs> Can I have 12 bottles of beach, please? Why have you used your IRS voice? <laughs> You've disguised yourself as a terrorist. All right, we do have a serious question um, from Rob Canavan. Rob is from um, The Final Third, which is a really good um, podcast, which deals with the one of the first podcasts that had me on, actually. Um, and they deal with all kinds of European football, so give them a listen. Rob asks, um, this is quite an interesting one, how do you feel about Maurizio Pochino playing a second string in Florence? It wasn't really it a wasn't second, really string, a second it? string, but I, I think what, what Rob's getting at is there were obviously um, a few key players left out and preserved for Sunday. I think that was, I think that was understandable. Um, I think had he put in an entirely first-choice team and then things were to go spectacularly out of plan against Chelsea, he would have had a lot of negative comments made about prioritising one competition over the other. And I think he, he, he did the halfway house of doing a half-and-half half job. And I think that was as much respect as the competition probably deserved at that stage because we uh, the, the advantage was with Fiorentina and... Um, he did bring on the bigger players. Kane played, and 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 people did come on. So it wasn't as if we um, we sat on it and didn't try. So it was a it was a funny game that Fiorentina won. It wasn't great to watch. It was very bitty. It was it was um, it, uh, the performance wasn't anywhere near as good as the one we put in again on the uh, on the weekend against Chelsea. But um, it was it was expected really. They they played like a side who were 
who are half waiting for something else. Um, and it just, again, buys into that point that the players who come into deputise for the very best ones aren't of the same quality as, as the, the very first choice ones are. All right, well, all the other... Yeah, I, I agree with you. All the other, all the other questions are, are um, I don't know, things we've covered. Actually, on that Fiorentina thing, I um, I forgot to tell you and Jack this, and now everyone who's listening is going to learn this as well. Um, in the morning of that game, I went out to get... I, I walked into town to get coffee. And between leaving my house and coming back, I somehow agreed to let my ex-girlfriend come and stay with me while she was having a bit of a housing crisis. So, and that, that was kind of like... A, 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 there was a sequence of events throughout that day related to that, which meant that when I sat down to watch that game, I was sort of in a bit of a daze. It felt like I'd been punched in the face a couple of times. So I didn't really respond to anything that happened in that game. Um, so, yeah. So I, it kind of rule the roost is a little bit like therapy. So I thought I'd, I'd share that with you. Sounds like your ex-girlfriend took you for a bit of a Tony Fernandez. <laughs> <laughs> no, I got on well with her. She just, uh, she had a bit of a, a personal life difficulty, but the, it, it's a, it's a, it's a difficult situation. I, ultimately, she didn't end up coming here, but um, it was, um, yeah, quite a, quite a hectic day. It sounds like it. Um, are we done then? We we've got nothing else to do. Do you want to do the bit that Jack does that we we always... no? Do you do you want to? I'll do, do a little bit of it, but I I don't know it well enough to um to to get it right. So you might have to jump in. So basically, right? Just you say some stuff for about thirty seconds, and I'll compose myself. Okay. Just oh. just ad lib something. Just talk about Rangi Chase's pass or something. Oh, did you see Rangi Chase? Mate, this, is, this, is, this has got to be a monologue, so you, you go for a while. The best bit about that Rangi Chase skill was it wasn't the backwards pass behind his back. Anyone can do that if they've a half-skilled way rugby ball. It was the first one where he passed it to himself. Right? And he, he lets it go with his right hand and then almost pops it out towards the other guy's hand. And he sells the dummy so well that his dummy runner's like looking back at him as if where's the ball gone when he's gone Amazing past him. Amazing bit of skill. Um, I remember one he did a couple of seasons ago back when he were at Cass where they were away at Catalan. It didn't lead to a try, but he he ran from the right-hand side of the pitch towards the left and he passed the ball um, and he was pretending like he was going to do a behind-his-back pass and because Catalan had obviously knew who was playing and knew he was capable of that, they've bought it. And he just passed it round his back to himself and carried on up the left wing and they completely fell for it. But he's he's one of the most frustrating players in, in rugby league as Rangi Chase because he's capable of some of the most outrageous handling skill and kicking game and, and attacking flair you've ever seen. But on other occasions he just he just won't turn up. He's he's almost Addy by all. He's his... Hassan Ben Arthur. Yes. But he's 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 probably in better shape than Ben Arthur. <laughs> yeah. Um, and he plays a lot more than Ben Arthur does. So he's an Adam Tarrapt, maybe, should we yeah. say. Yeah, Tarrapt is probably the one, yeah. He's, he's he's absolutely outrageous on occasions. I mean, I, I posted a vine of that, that him doing that earlier. Uh, it's probably been shared before, but it was just one of those things that I could not help but, but share with the wider world because it was just... that That's one of those that, like... People will be out on the training pitches tonight and whatnot with like their clubs running across the line and trying to do it and knocking on because they just can't keep the ball and that sort of control. Uh, it's just absolutely something else. I don't think I've ever ever seen a player do that sort of thing. And there's there's Johnson for New Zealand who's capable of that sort of handing work and Isaac Luke and English and things like that. But there's not many in the world who can do that. Okay, I'm ready to close this out now. I've got everything. Okay, so you you can. Uh... 
you can follow the Twitter account, which is Rule the Roost at R T R S S M. Um, or you can follow the main account, which is at Spurs Statman. You make it sound like a decision with or. I think it's and. Oh, we'll do both then. Yeah, definitely do both. Um, because that will yeah. uh, that will please JP, who Jack always refers to as the boss man. He's a he's a guy I've never met, so hence the detached my voice. Hello, JP. Um, and then then what else does he do? He does something else. The website, if you www.spurstatman.com, you can listen to the entire back catalogue of all the podcasts. And we're currently in the I'm currently in the the process of. Um, of grooming a, uh, a co-editor. No, don't, don't say grooming. Getting, well, uh, I feel that's no, an no, appropriate word. Training. Yeah, well, somebody, somebody's going to be uh, taking over the uh, the site um, very soon and we'll we'll have more stuff up there and, and whatnot um, in the near future and uh, that should be back up and running just because I don't have as much time as I once did. But you can listen to all the podcasts and read all the past articles and everything that are on there and read Seb's stuff on Premier League Owl, even though he's... he's um, is rebranding at the no, moment. No, it's not um, a rebrand. It's just that it's become kind of obsolete. I, I kind of my, my attention is is uh, with the freelancing stuff really, and and the website's more of a kind of messing about environment for me now. But um, yeah, I didn't <laughs> didn't sell that very well, did I? Um, no, you're, you're not you're not Premier League owl on Twitter anymore. No, I just it started as just it was it was never meant to be anything but a bit of fun and and. Now that sort of I'm writing elsewhere, it seems a bit redundant. So it's still there, and the site will still exist. But um, yeah, probably read work elsewhere. I guess that's what I'm trying to say. Seb so saying that he's the things he can't sell are the things he puts on his website. <laughs> <laughs> oh, and I, oh, and I write 800 words on obscure 1990s computer games. Yeah, it's just all about the clickbait on the Premier League hour now. I think, to be honest. I managed to sell someone an article about FIFA '98 once, which was a proud moment for me. No, I mean that's not that's not retro. You, you want to go Super Soccer for the Super Nintendo? I, I wrote. Yeah. I, I spent about an hour writing that yesterday. And I think maybe eighty people read it. I just thought, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Adrian Durham, I'm not. I've got things to learn about about clickbait. I think. Um, yeah. Yeah. And Jack, Jack does something else. He, I, I think he, he, at the end, he, he says, "Come on, you Spurs." I know that. Um, Oh, I think we've done, we it, done all it all. all right, we'll come on you Spurs. Yeah. Um, look forward to, to Wednesday night and to going to that horrible little ground in West London on Sante. Saturday or Sunday, we've got QPR. <laughs> I don't know. This is terrible. On the weekend. <laughs> God, God, Jack needs to come back quickly. Flexibility is great. That's why there's yoga. Flexibility for your insurance coverage is great too. That's why there's United Healthcare Insurance Plans. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, United Healthcare Insurance Plans offer flexible, budget friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. One of these plans may be right for you if you're, say, between jobs, coming off your parents' plan, turning a side hustle into a full hustle, or even missed open enrollment. 
Want more flexibility? Find out more about United Healthcare Insurance Plans at UH1.com. 